Hey, what's going on, Howie Spangler? Tales from the Green Room, episode number 48. How's everybody? How you doing? How was your holiday? Uh, we had a wonderful Christmas. The family, uh, it was just nice to be home with the family. And, um, you know, it's always wild. I, I, I didn't necessarily relax, but, um, you know, it's, it can be stressful, right? <laughs> but, uh, it was great, man. It was nice to be around the family and, um, my kids just had a wonderful Christmas and it's really what it's about, right? It's, it's about, it's about the kids, you know? So, um, fasting, awful, just doing awful. Like I feel terrible. Like I, I just, I kind of got back to it yesterday. I like stopped eating at eight, around eight. And, uh, I got a little over 15 hours today. Um, but yeah, I've just been terrible at it. I, I, I did good for like a month. Even when I was on tour, I, I only drank like three times. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, whatever. It's the holidays. You know, I'm not going to sit here and make excuses. What is the point of that? You know? Um, so I'm trying to get back at it. But uh, let me know if anybody's tried it. Let me know how it's going for you. Um, send me some screenshots of your trackers or whatever. Like if, if you got, got that going, I got a few people that are using the, uh, they got the fast habit track. I, I don't, uh, I'm not sponsored or anything by that, by that company or the, the app or whatever. I just see the app that I've been using. It was like three bucks, I think for the pro and it just helped me. So and I've, I've told some people about it and they, they're sending me like screenshots of their, their fasting and stuff like that. I just thought that was interesting. But, um, anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, we had a pretty crazy show at Looney's the other night. Thanks to everybody that came out to that in Bel Air. Always just, a, always just a shit show, like just a hot, gross mess, you know. Um, but it was a nice way to cap off the year. And now we we look forward, we look ahead, we plow ahead into 2019. You know, ready to go. We never stop. Y'all know us. We never stop. Um, so uh, next month, we're going to be out with Bad Fish for like, I think, 10 shows or something like that. The, the Sublime Tribute Band. Those guys are awesome. They're just a lot of fun. They put on a good show. They sound a lot like Sublime. Um, Pat sounds so much like Brad. And uh, it's just a treat to go on tour with those guys and be friends or whatever. So get tickets for that. Ballyherox.com slash tour. And uh, what else is going on? Uh, One Love Festival in Long Beach in February. Come out for that. We're going to play some punk rock songs and uh, wake everybody up. It's a heavily reggae. It's heavily reggae this year. Maybe, well, I guess there's always been reggae, maybe. But um, yeah, we're going to be like that punk rock band that comes in and makes some fucking noise. Uh, and then starting a tour with The Expendables and Cashed Out. I think it's the 13th, 12th or 13th of February. Uh, Ballyherox.com slash tour. Check it out there. Follow me on Instagram at Howie Spangler. Um, check out the YouTube channel, Howie Spangler. And uh, thanks to everybody that's supporting. Uh, really appreciate it. If, you, if you'd like to support the podcast, it helps take care of like admin stuff, like the website and things like that. It's uh, talesfromthegreenroom.com slash, no, talesfromthegreenroom.com and then hit support the podcast button. Um, 
Today on the show, I've got uh, Finn McKenzie of the Punk Rock MBA. Uh, you may have seen him on YouTube. If you hadn't, go over there and uh, subscribe right now. Ring the bell. And uh, this guy's got great videos, man. He's, he's uh, very knowledgeable um, about the industry and how things work. And um, has a lot of fun videos about how certain bands got big, why he thinks certain bands got big. Um, and uh, I was just very interested to hear what he had to say about the industry today and being a content creator and uh, making videos and, and you know, from my perspective, being, being a songwriter and putting out music and um, sort of how to, how to engage your audience and, and build um, without being annoying and uh, got his take on the state of downloads versus streams and Spotify and uh, sort of what that means and is it necessarily a good or a bad thing. Uh, it was an incredible conversation. I appreciate Finn for coming on the show. Uh, so without further ado, here it is, episode 48, Tales from the Green Room, Finn McKenzie of Punk Rock NBA. Let's go. Finn McKenzie, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. I can't complain. Uh, just it is the day after Christmas, so uh, the holidays are always kind of a stressful time of year for me. Not because of family stuff or anything like that. It's because I get stressed out if I can't work, and I always have to slow down from like Thanksgiving to New Year's. And by the time the New Year rolls around, I am like at the end of my rope because I just want the world to start moving again. Dude, I'm the same way, man. I, I hate when like industry shuts down for like a month. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it, it's it's crazy. Like things just deals aren't moving, and um, you know we're we're trying to work on tours, and you know what I mean. Like, and it's just everybody's like out for the holidays. Everybody just checks out for a month. It's crazy. Nothing happens till after Nam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. When is Nam? Is is that uh, January every year? February? Yeah, I think it's the 19th this year, but I might be wrong about that. So cool. Yeah, I've never been. I've, I've always wanted to check it out. Uh, it, you know, it's basically like a giant guitar center. So, like, the show itself is that. You know, there's it's huge. It's at the Anaheim Convention Center. And from what they tell me, it's, like, the largest event they have there every year. I think there's, like, 90,000 people or something that go. That's amazing. So the show itself is basically like a giant guitar center where every – manufacturer you know gear or software or whatever has a booth set up and they're all making noise at the same time <laughs> and doing little demos and stuff uh but i don't spend a lot of time on the show floor i spend more of my time just like hanging out and talking to people um and uh, sometimes i only go onto the show floor like for an hour or something like that and i'm just meeting with people nonstop the whole time which is fun because it's a great time to catch up with people uh, you know that you only see a couple times a year but it's also exhausting to talk to people like for 16 hours a day for four days straight yeah. so um you know it's it's it, it's uh i wouldn't say that anybody looks forward to going to it but uh it's you know it's valuable you know what i mean kind of like kind of like going to the gym you don't want to go but you're glad you did oh totally <laughs> totally i know i was just talking to a friend i was like insane trying to uh, get stay committed to going to the gym and I've been, I haven't been in like probably a month and a half and I feel terrible <laughs> uh oh yeah you gotta get 
You've got to get back on track. Once you get out of the, you get in or out of the groove, and that makes it, you know, it's like once you're in the groove, then it's easier to stay in. Once you get out, then you, you know, fall out of the groove, and that's no good. So the power of habits. For sure, yeah. Um, so, dude, so I guess uh, I guess a couple months ago, um, uh, uh, actually the guy in my band, my bass player, um, sent me one of your videos. It was for the, uh, I'm a huge Green Day fan. They're my favorite band. And uh, he sent me the video you made about how Green Day got so big. And um, yeah. I I loved it. It was I thought it was great. It was roughly like, I don't know, 13 or 14 minutes or something like that, I think. And um, I think it was, I thought it was really well done. And uh, I know like almost everything there is to know about that band, you know? So I thought I was in my head, I was like, yeah, that checks out. That checks out. You know, you seem to know, you have a pretty deep uh, knowledge about, a lot of these bands, man, and, and, and the music industry in general. And um, I thought it was interesting. I, ch- I checked out some more videos. And then uh, that's when I decided to, you said you check, you read all your comments. So I decided to leave a comment about maybe coming onto my podcast. And you hit me right back, you know, and I thought that was great. I wasn't lying. You was were I? not lying. Yeah. Uh, I think that's great. I think that's a really good um, thing to have as well. Like, especially uh, being a content creator and um, doing what I do. <clears throat> I'm in a band. My my main thing is my band. Um, the podcast is kind of on the side, but uh, is is uh so re- replying to fans and and engaging the people that are that are taking your content in. You know, I think that's very important. Um, well, it's it's kind of weird to me if you don't like people that say that they never read their comments and never reply to people and sort of act like they. I don't want to say they're too good for it necessarily, but kind of like they would never like, Oh, I would never do that. And, um, uh, you know, it can be, it can be exhausting at times, but it's kind of weird to me to think about it that way. That's a very one sided way of looking at it to me. It's like, Oh, well, I want you to listen to me, but I'll never listen to you. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's a just, uh, that doesn't feel comfortable to me. And maybe that's just, you know, because I come from, you know, the hardcore scene where one of the kind of central values is that there's, you know, no difference. No, the, the people on stage are not, you know, inherently more valuable or better than the people in the crowd. Um, and so maybe I just take that, you know, kind of attitude with me when it comes to content, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just, it seems very strange to me that you would, that you would put your content out there and then not want to engage with the people that are look that are watching. It seems very odd to me. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I think the, you know, <laughs> any band or, or content creator that is doing well, or maybe even not even doing well, it has a few hundred views or whatever, or maybe 10 people came to the show. Like you, you're not doing things if people aren't like consuming what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like you're not like right. my band wouldn't be where it is if we didn't have people coming to the shows and buying t-shirts and, and streaming the music and um, if you don't realize that, uh, I mean, you're a fucking idiot, <laughs> like, exactly. you know? And yeah. so it, I think, and just what you said, how, um, those people aren't less valuable than the person on stage. That's, I mean, a hundred percent true. Like, I don't know. We, we need them as much as they need us. I feel, I feel like I've always thought that, uh, being a musician and playing songs, uh, was absolutely something for myself, but, um, I get something from the crowd you know, they, I don't, they're sort of like the, when they appreciate what I'm doing, it, it makes me feel something. And then they, but then it's all like music 
I think people just need music, you know, and then when you find something you love, like a song that hits you so deep, you know, I, I feel like we're providing a service for them as well, you know? Yeah, it's two way street. So um, I just, you know, I, I always want to make sure everyone feels that way. Um, I just, I'm just not into, not into hierarchy or anything like that. So um, I don't know. I mean, the least I could do is read people's comments, right? Yeah. I think, uh, I think people get, like bummed out like people like they I, I used to think that I used to think okay I just don't read the comments like I won't let anything get to me but when in this day and age when you're especially when you when you would like to grow an audience and 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 take your thing to an, a, a new level I think it's very important that you just you get in there even when it's tough you know because you're gonna get people that are like ah fuck you yeah you suck or whatever or that's not right or whatever or this song sucks fuck these guys you know it's, it's just like yeah that's just comes with it you know it totally comes to the territory and, you know, I've been doing this in one way or another, you know, I had blogs before and stuff. So I've been doing this in one way or another for, uh, about 10 years now. And, uh, I, I just, it, yeah, it comes to the territory. Like if you, if you can't handle it, don't put yourself out there. And I totally understand if people can't handle it, like it does suck sometimes. I mean, I get sometimes a hundred awful, shitty, negative comments calling me names in a day, you know, um, and I wouldn't say that I enjoy that, but, um, you know, it comes to the territory and you just have to look at it that way and understand that, you know, there's positive and negative. And for whatever reason, the human brain is, you know, wired to more heavily weight negative information and positive information, mm-hmm. you know, probably because, you know, if you think about, uh, the, you know, caveman days, it's more important to remember that there's a saber toothed tiger that could eat your face off than it is to remember how good that banana tasted yesterday. Um, you know, so we have, there's like a biological imperative to remember, you know, negatively valenced things more than positively valenced things. Uh, you know, I, at least that's, that's my thought, but you know, you just have to learn how to deal with that. And you are, I, I just feel fortunate that anybody pays attention to anything I have to say. And of course we all know that there's lots of nasty, shitty people out there. I just try to think about like, uh, if somebody leaves some long wind, sometimes people will comment like, I'm sure this happens with their band too. Like someone will leave like four horrible comments, like in three minutes, you know? And, uh, and, and it really doesn't even bother me because I just think like, <clears throat> what is going on in this person's life that they took time out of their day to like say such horrible, nasty things to some stranger over something as trivial as what band you like. <clears throat> and I can't even get mad about it. I, I honestly feel sorry for those people because it's just like, how unhappy, you know, do you have to be to like put that kind of energy out there? You know, I, I, I can't even be upset about it because I just feel bad for the people. Yeah. I, I I've kind of grown, like, it just makes me laugh, you know, more than, more than like get bummed out. You know, when, I, when yeah. I see things, a lot of times it's just, just silly to me, you know, and just what you said, it's like, you actually took the time to do that. Like, what is going on with you? <laughs> what, what happened to you? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, who hurt you? Yeah. Who hurt you? Um, show us, show us on the video where you were hurt. <laughs> uh, so you said you've been doing this about 10 years. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, well, I mean, longer than that, really. I mean, I started making zines in uh, probably 93 or 94. 
Um, so if you want to count that as far as like putting out content, then I guess I've been doing it even longer than that. But as far as internet content, yeah, I started doing that probably about 10 years ago in 2008. I had like a blog that I did with some of my friends about like old metal where we kind of made fun of old metal bands and that got some traction and, you know, I've done various things on and off since then. Um, you know, before I started doing YouTube stuff. Was there a, was there a time, um, cause g growing a YouTube channel is very tough. Um, especially yes, today, there's so many, so many creators doing things and, um, and finding, finding that, <clears throat> I guess that, that way to stand out amongst the rest. I um, mean, your, your videos are, are quality. I'd say like the, everything, like I said before, you like, you seem to really know your shit when you talk about this stuff. Well, I try to, I try to only talk about things where I feel like I can, you know, speak from a position of authority uh, or at least, you know, be entertaining about it because I know what I'm talking about. Like if I don't know what I'm talking about, then I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be one of these people that like feels like I have to chime in on everything just because everybody else is. Sure. Yeah. People can smell bullshit anyway, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's, uh, you know, I've done that, not on YouTube, but I've done that before a couple times. And every time I was like, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that. I've done that in conversation many times. Like, I, I, and just recently, yeah. the last few years, I've learned to like, why did I even start talking about it? Why did I even comment on that? Like, you know, like, I, yeah, exactly. I know nothing I about this. A, a couple years ago, uh, <clears throat> it was like such a good example of this. So, my uh, my cousin at the time was uh, an engineer at Google, so he's a smart guy. And uh, my stepdad, who's also a smart guy but has a much bigger mouth, was – I don't remember what they were even talking about. It was some political thing. My stepdad kept trying to get him, my cousin, to, like, engage on this thing. And like, well, don't you think it's fucked up that they're doing blah, 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 whatever it was? And my cousin just kept repeating, I'd have to know more before I could comment. And uh, I was like – smart. Man, I wish more people would say that. <laughs> it was like I really just remember that moment of like, just like I'm not going to comment on this until I know more. Yeah, like there's nobody's putting a gun to your head and forcing you to put an opinion out there. Yeah, yeah. It's, <clears throat> everybody wants to. Everybody loves to fight about things and debate. <laughs> like I do not. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've definitely had my share of debates, but um, it's about dumb shit mostly. But um. Yeah, I try not to get into any of that. I don't, I don't, I have like my political views, you know, like, but I don't really ever put it out there. And like my, I'm just not that type of person really. And my, and I also feel that I don't have enough uh, basis to really kind of, like, I know how I feel inside about certain things, but just trying to like get it out there and vocally and just be, I'm just not that guy. I'd rather focus on like putting out like fun music and, you know, taking yeah. people away I'm, from it. I'm not in the, I'm not in the, in, in the business of trying to persuade people to change their opinions about anything, whether that's politics or food or anything else. Like if you think that my opinion is terrible, that's okay with me. Yeah. Like I don't have to, I don't need to change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of impossible on, on a lot of, uh, a lot of the, crazier debates these days you know you're not going to change someone's mind you're just going back and forth and it's just yeah pointless. exactly and that to me is just a complete waste of energy Completely. and uh i'd rather just just rather not do yeah. it yeah so uh so you said about 93 you started putting out zines and stuff man i remember zines back in yep. the day dude 
that was uh I always thought that was really cool. I've always been like on the creative side. Like I've always like wanted to I was drawing my own comic books when I was in middle school and stuff like that. And um, I, I remember uh, when we had a the big on-the-shoulder, like, video cameras with the VHS, you know, um, and making skits yeah. and stuff with my friends and my brother and everything. And, um, just always trying to make something. And uh, one of the, like, zines was, was something I never actually got into. Um, I always thought it was a very cool trend, though. Um, just seeing like we uh, we would go to like local like punk rock shows and stuff and and ska shows and um, people would be handing out you know these just like black and white photocopied you know on, on ditto paper you know like t- right. fifteen pages twenty pages or whatever just of like shit that was going on you know and issues and stuff stuff that was really neat so you, you uh, what was the zine called? Uh, I had a couple of them um, the most recent one that I did, which some people remember was called Hating Life, which is the name of a song by an old death metal band called Grave, if uh, anybody remembers them. So that was the last one I did um, from, I don't know, 97 or something like that until 2001, maybe. I don't, I don't remember exactly. So what's the, what's the process? Um, how do you, uh, from, from getting it from your head out to the masses, <clears throat> what was the process? You know, you're, you're, you're writing everything out. You're clipping things from magazines and making photocopies. Like, how does it all come together? Yeah, I mean, that's you know, it's, I mean, it's the same. I guess to me, it's all the same. Like, I, it's the same thing as making a video to me. I just figure out what I, you know, want to say, um, and then you make it happen. So I did a mix. You know, for the zines, I did a lot more interviews which back then, you know, nowadays if you do an interview, nobody gives a shit. Like interviews do not get traffic, um, on, you know, the web, uh, or YouTube, unless there's something like really kind of special about it. Like you interview somebody that rarely does interviews or they, you know, um, give you some piece of juicy gossip or something like that. Um, because these days there's, I mean, why would I, why would I read an interview with somebody when I could just follow that person on social media and like, hear directly from them you know so true but back then especially the you know especially the bands that i was focusing on you know there would maybe only be three interviews with this band in existence you know so if i did interview number three or four that was noteworthy so that was the main thing i used to like get people to care about what i was doing is by interviewing bands that nobody else was talking about um, and the first way that I, I mean, I, I had no idea how to do this when I started, I was 14 or 15 and I just wrote a letter, you know, cause this is 93 or 94, whenever it was, I just wrote a letter to the, this band that I liked called capitalist casualties and said, Hey, uh, I have this zine. Would you guys like to do an interview? And a couple weeks later I got a letter back, you know, this is, <laughs> this is like the timelines you're talking about when you're, you know, dealing with actual letters in the mail. Um, I got a letter back from the guy that said, yeah, we'd love to do it. Here's my phone number. And I was like, oh, my God, he gave me his phone number. I have to call him. Holy shit. <laughs> so I did, and I recorded it and typed it up. And, you know, that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, and back then, I learned how to use computers before probably most people did. I mean, I was on the Internet in 94 um, when it was very different than it is now, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I did, I did a mix of stuff. A lot of people back then did pure, like cut and paste zines. Uh, I did a little bit of both. Um, and so I, I, I consider myself fortunate to have been around that stuff 
from an early age. Like I worked at print shops and stuff like that. Um, so I always had access to that stuff, which was, uh, you know, I'm really lucky to have that. That's really cool, man. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, with the, uh, with the YouTube channel, what, what was the, has the growth been, um, pretty like, I don't know. I'm sure it was like slow moving at first and then you started getting some traction. Has it been, was there a point where it's just kind of like really took off that you were like exponentially or has it been like a pretty steady growth? Um, I could, I could swear you only had like 40 K subs, uh, like a month ago and now you're up to like 46. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the, the, there's a, um, what is his name? Pat, there's a, a guy named Patty Galloway, I believe that does really good, like deconstructions of YouTubers, kind of like how I do with fans. Um, and I remember re- seeing a video that he made. I think it was about Peter McKinnon um, or something like that. And he explained it really well, um, which is basically at the beginning of any channel, like it's really, really, really slow growth. Like you are grinding for months or possibly even years. In my case, it took nine months where really like it's just very, very, very slow growth, like almost flat. And it's really discouraging. And then if you keep at it and you, you know, play your cards right, eventually something happens and you get a quick spike in, in growth. Uh, and then it flattens off again, which it did. So in September, I think I got like 20,000 subscribers in a month. Um, and, and so it's slowed off since then, but still, I mean, you know, I was getting before that I was getting like three or five subscribers a day, which, you know, I'm still grateful for every single one of those, but at that rate, it's kind of, that's kind of discouraging. You're like, fuck, if I keep doing this for another year, I'm going to have 500 or 800 more subscribers. Like, <laughs> Jesus, is this really worth it? Yeah. But I got that big spike and it, and, you know, again, it's flattened off since then, but still now, instead of getting three or five subscribers a day, I'm consistently getting around 200 yeah. and that feels a lot better, yeah. you know, um, 200 a day, like, okay, that I can see. You know, so that works out to, you know, six to eight thousand a month. You know, that feels good. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's Um, great. But yeah, that that first the first part of it is a grind, and I mean it's the same for any kind of creative endeavor, whether that's music or writing a book or I mean anything you do. The the beginning of it where nobody gives a shit is by far the hardest. I mean it's it's better. It feels better to be hated than to be ignored. I mean, being hated sucks. Like we were talking about, like it's not fun to get negative comments, but at least somebody's paying some kind of attention. Like the most discouraging thing for most people. And for me is to put something out there and it's just crickets, like no reaction at all. That's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I've got a, um, I've got a YouTube channel just of like some solo stuff I'm doing and vlogs and things like that. And it's like super, I've got like 315 subscribers, you know, and like my videos, I mean, even videos that I put up like a couple of months ago have like less than 200 views, you know? So it's, I can, I can totally understand where that comes from. Um, it's tough. It, it is. So, uh, for, for anybody that's, uh, that, um, is thinking about doing a YouTube channel or anything like that in, in 2018, now 2019 going into 2019, um, what would you say would be the best practices, um, I mean, are you putting out a video a day or, you know, what would you suggest? Well, so I've tried, I tried a lot of different things, um, including 
you know, uh, uploading every day because I've heard that you need to do that and all that stuff. Um, and I think that's, that's true once you have traction, but if you don't have traction, uploading every single day is not necessarily going to move the needle. I think I wish that it was that easy, but, um, I don't think it is. Uh, in other words, if nobody's paying attention, it's multiplying zeros, you know, right. like if nobody's paying attention, you can put out a hundred videos and still nobody's paying attention. What you need to do is figure out how you get that first initial little bit of traction, because once you have that, you know, once you have that foothold, then you can use that as your foundation to build on. The question is, how do you get that first initial little bit of traction? And there's a few ways. I mean, there's a few ways you can do that. Like I'll, I'll talk about it strategically and tactically. So strategically would be kind of the big picture of like, what am I going to create and who am I going to create it for? And why would they care is kind of the big question to answer, to ask. And I think that that is basically like if you drew overlapping circles of something that you are passionate about, something that you are um, able to execute well and something that other people care about. It's like the intersection of those three things, because if any one of those is missing, it's not going to work out. Uh, in other words, like you might be super passionate uh, and, um, and, and a world-class expert on car upholstery. Um, and maybe there's an audience out there for that, but that's a little bit of a question mark to me as compared to something like, you know, um, uh, mobile phones, you know, smartphones, there's like a huge audience out there of people who are super into smartphones, you know? So if you can talk about smartphones in a way that's like interesting and special and high quality, then you can be pretty certain that uh, once people find out about it, it will catch on. So that's the first thing you need to answer is kind of strategically. What is, you know, how do you, what, what is that intersection of those three circles? And then the question is like, how do you um, get that in front of people such that you basically your challenge there is like, I need to get this in front of the right people so that when they see it, they'll go, Holy shit. I never knew that this existed. This is amazing. This is my new favorite thing. And I think the way that you do that kind of depends on, um, I don't think there's any one size fits all solution for that. I think it depends on the particulars of your situation. But what I would say is, um, you want, uh, there's two things you should do. First is post it on all your personal social media. And I know that sounds obvious, but a lot of people, for whatever reason, uh, are shy about that. But I would say if you can't even get your friends and family to care, then I don't think you'll be able to get strangers to care. Um, and that can be like the first, that could be the first little bit of traction that you get that if, if a hundred, I mean, imagine if a hundred of your friends loved this thing you made and they shared it with all their friends. I, I mean, to me, that would get traction, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, so that's the first thing I would do. And the second thing I would do is look for existing communities of people who are talking about this and figure out how to reach them. One obvious place, like currently, I would say there's two places where you can do that. One would be Facebook groups and the other one would be Reddit. Um, for example, I mean, there's a, a, a subreddit for almost any topic you could possibly think of um so you know for example if it's um if it's music there's a subreddit for every genre you could think of you know games same thing whatever it is there's and there's probably tens of thousands of people on even the smaller ones so 
and I've noticed like every time one of my videos gets posted to one of those subreddits, I get a big spike in traffic, like right off the bat from it. And again, for, you know, if you're just starting out, you don't need 10,000 views in a day on something. And if that happens, that's great, but you'd probably be happy to get a thousand in a day. Sure. Right. Yeah. So you don't need, um, you don't need to move a mountain in order to like get that initial bit of traction. And then the other way that you could do that is with the, um, is optimizing the title thumbnail and metadata for a YouTube video, which, uh, I will not explain how to do here because that's kind of a long conversation, yeah, but yeah. there's a guy look up, um, look up Google for a guy named Brian Dean, D E A N. Uh, Google Brian Dean YouTube Marketing Hub, and he has a very long, very good, very comprehensive and free guide to all of that. It'll answer every question you could possibly have about the kind of tactical part of how do you publish videos on YouTube in the optimal way. And doing that alone isn't going to get you the traction, but it will definitely help. So you got to make sure you do that, do all that stuff. And title and thumbnail matter a lot. That is definitely one thing that I would put a lot of energy into. Yeah, you see a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of YouTubers um, putting their thumbnails are like pretty like I don't know ambiguous is the word or gaudy even like it's just like big bold letters a picture you know a pretty good picture of them making a funny face or whatever just something that yep. you know you have a lot of bright colors in your backgrounds and stuff and um, yep. yeah it's something that kind of shouts like look at me click me click me. Exactly. My friend, uh, do you know, uh, the, do you know fluff by any chance? Ryan Bruce, the guitar YouTuber. I do not. Whatever. He's a, you know, guitar YouTuber. Um, and, uh, one of the more, you know, more popular like metal ones, I guess. Sure. And, uh, so he lives by me and I was asking him for some advice on this, you know, before I got traction. And, uh, he said with title and thumbnail, if you're not cringing, you're not doing it right. <laughs> and it's a hundred percent true. Like I don't like doing that stuff. I wish that I could be more, you know, a little bit more understated about it, but that's not the world we live in. So, you know, I don't make the rules. I just got to play by. Them. Yeah. That no, it makes total sense, man. I, like I said before, you seem to know, <laughs> you know what you're doing, you know? Um, so, uh, you, I saw the, I guess a couple of videos, um, you're, you have a lot of stuff about like music industry, music, music industry advice. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess you said you did some marketing with some labels or for a while or what? what tell me about that. Uh, well, I've done, I've done a bunch of stuff um, in the music world. So I guess I'll give you really quickly. I'll tell you where it came from. So I was a uh, graphic designer for the per first part of my career. I worked at agencies doing stuff for some companies like, Red Bull and Nike and Nintendo and stuff like that. And then I made videos like action sports and music videos um, for like Quicksilver and Billabong and, you know, Element and every brand you could think of kind of in that world. And then we did like original content with a bunch of this like mid 2000s, uh, you know, like Bam Margera and Under Oath and uh, I don't know, a bunch of other, you know, again, pretty much any band that was doing something at that time, we probably did something with them. Uh, after that, I was a designer and marketer, uh, for Abercrombie and Fitch. I worked on like Hollister and Abercrombie stuff uh, for about five years, four years. After that, I worked at a tech company called Creative Live that does online education. I started, they, uh, they, they kind of originally did photography classes and I started 
the division of the company that um, did like music production classes. So that's when I started working a lot with music producers. Um, and uh, then after, and then kind of in parallel to that, I've been a partner in a couple ventures in the music world. Um, one is called uh, URM Academy, which is an uh, online education platform for rock and metal producers. So the way that it works is every month we bring on a different producer to show you how they mixed uh, mixed a, a song from you know one of their more recent albums. So some of the artists we've had on URM Academy that's called Nail the Mix is, is the product. Some of the people we've had on we had like Andrew Wade mixing a day to remember. We had Dan Lancaster with Bring Me the Horizon. We had uh, 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 fucking uh, what is um, Daniel Bergstrand with Meshuga. Um, had Nolly and Periphery. Uh, I'm also a partner in a company called Get Good Drums, which is a software company with the guys from Periphery. And I've done some freelance marketing stuff for a day to remember and Periphery and Intervals and Issues and Self Help Fest and some other stuff I'm probably not remembering. So, <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, kind of within the realm of design and marketing, basically. That's rad, man. Uh, yeah, actually, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned that they get good drums. My, my, my younger brother just sent me, um, Matt Halpern, uh, drum pack. Um, he sent it yeah, to for, you. Well, for Christmas, I got, a. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, he got it for me for Christmas, and uh, he actually got it for last year, and I just never got around to downloading it, and because uh, I, I do product production as well, uh, working with other bands and such, and um, I hit him up uh, last week. I'm like, dude, you have that that link, you know? So he sent me the link, and it still works. So I um, got to download the uh, the pack. I can't wait to try it out. From what I heard on the uh, the clips there, they sound rad. Yeah, it's uh, it's great, and I, I think. Um... You know, so we have two libraries. One is called um, the one is called Modern and Massive. That's the, um, the the newer drum library, and that's a little bit bigger than uh, the Matt Halvern library in terms of sound and like the you know just number of drums and cymbals sampled. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have the Matt Halvern library. Matt is the drummer of Periphery, as probably a lot of people know. That one is a little bit tighter and punchier, but I think they're both pretty great. Nice. He's a. I don't know a, a lot about the band, but is is he a Baltimore guy? Yes, he yeah, is. That's what I thought. I thought I thought I saw a uh, an Orioles cap in that video that I saw. I I, I believe he is from Pikesville. Oh, right on. Yeah, it's like forty minutes from me. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um. <clears throat> so, uh, I saw some videos. I was I was watching a video this morning. I was trying to catch up a little bit. Um, and uh, just pick some random videos that you had and um the one about uh facebook i thought was very interesting uh as far as um the boosting the posts and how how facebook will kill any link you know just just destroy your post just bury it if you put a link to yeah. like external links i thought that was uh, very interesting and um could you maybe talk a little bit about that for people just kind of explain how that works real quick i know you already did a video on it but <laughs> sure well basically the um the, the reason I made that video is because people in music in particular are very, um, very precious about Facebook uh, and organic reach. So people like musicians are very upset about the fact that, you know, Facebook now has really poor organic reach. So if you post a link, if you post any, any piece of content on Facebook, it's probably not going to reach very many people. Uh, and, so 
essentially my goal with that video was to help people understand how Facebook works so they can a get the most out of whatever organic reach you're going to get on Facebook, which is not that very, not, I mean, these days I, I think probably about 1% of your audience will see um, anything you post on Facebook. If it's, you know, uh, if it's, if it's not promoted. Wow. That's terrible. Well, I mean, it is what it yeah. is. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they don't owe you anything. <laughs> it's, it's a free service. Yeah. And the other thing is like people have a really, uh, the musicians are just so entitled about everything, but especially with stuff like this. Yeah. So the thing they always say is, well, everybody who sees my, who liked my page should see my stuff. Well, think about what would happen if that is how they actually, you know, if, if think, think about what would happen if that was true. So basically every fucking band would constantly spam their timeline and your feed would be nothing but spam from every band and every brand. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It would very quickly be ugly. just be like full of spam. So it would destroy Facebook if they were to do that. So this is why they throttled organic reach. Also because they want you to pay for it because they have a business to sure. run. But the the thing nobody ever thinks about is you don't actually want them to do the thing that you say you want. Um, and so anyway, the point of this video is just to help people understand how to use Facebook, uh, you know, optimally if they're trying to promote something they're doing. So. And if you think about it from Facebook's perspective, you know, again, because they have a business to run, it's not a charity. If you post a link to something that drives people off of Facebook, well, Facebook is going to kill the reach of that post, right? Because they don't want people to leave Facebook. They only make money when you're on Facebook and they're showing you ads. So if all you're doing is using their platform to drive people off of their platform, well, why would they, you know, why, why would they favor that a post like that? Right. Mm -hmm. So anytime, so if you're listening to this, what you need to understand is that anytime, if you include any kind of link in your post, it is going to just absolutely crush the organic reach of it. So even like a fraction of 1% of people will see it. So if you post a link to YouTube or to your band camp or to your merch store or anything else, it is going to absolutely destroy the organic reach. So um, basically, I made a video outlining the right way to post a video to Facebook. I see a lot of bands post links to YouTube videos on Facebook, which is a terrible idea because you don't actually care whether they watch the video on YouTube or Facebook, right? You, you just want them to watch the video. It doesn't matter where they do it. So what you should do is post a link to the native. So upload the native video to Facebook. Um, rather than linking to the YouTube video is basically what it comes down to. And then if you pay a few dollars, you can promote it so that more people see the video, which I would highly encourage you to do. I mean, for 10 bucks, you could reach several thousand people, you know, and if you're not willing to spend $10 to promote your shit, then I would say you should probably question why you're even doing this at all. If you're not willing to invest $10. In that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> um, yeah. We, when we, in the past, when uh, we put up um, videos on YouTube and then we'll boost the post. I'm, I'm sorry, on Facebook. Um, we'll boost the post. Yeah. And uh, it the the amount of views on Facebook versus YouTube is insane. Like we get way more views when we like boost a video on Facebook natively. Yeah, but one thing you should be aware of. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, you should never trust Facebook because they're an extremely shady company that you should never trust. <laughs> you think? Um, yes. <laughs> 
And I've been, and, and I, I mean, I've been doing business on Facebook for five years. So, I mean, it's, it's useful, but just don't trust them. So one thing to be aware of is that what Facebook counts as a view and what YouTube counts as a view are very different. Okay. Uh, I don't actually know what YouTube counts as a view these days, but I think it's 30 seconds. Maybe it's, maybe it's even more than I that. I think I read 30 uh, seconds. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube, their default is to report three second views. Three second views. So, yeah. Do you think if someone watches, watches your video for three seconds, would you count that as a view? I, I wouldn't. wouldn't. No. So that's what they want to go. Wow. A thousand people watched it. Well, yeah, a thousand people watched it for three seconds, but that's like, just because they couldn't scroll past it fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, you you got to dig a little bit deeper. You can see, like, you can see how many people watched it 10 or 25 or 50% of the way through. You can find all that, but you got to dig a little bit in the analytics because what Facebook wants you to do is to think exactly what you just thought, which is, wow, we reached so many more people on YouTube, on Facebook than we do YouTube, which may or may not be true. Um, I would say, yeah, you need you need to look into it right. and decide whether you think those Facebook views or YouTube views are more valuable to you. And, you know, that's just a business business decision that we have to make for ourselves. But make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that, that was actually going to be one of my other questions was <clears throat> when a band goes to um, goes to upload a video for the first time, uh, say it's their new, their new music video. Um, is it see, I always thought. All right, this might be a little weird. Okay, so like I always thought like put the video in one place to get more views. Like I always thought YouTube would be the place to go. Put your video on YouTube and get as many views as possible. Drive traffic as much as possible to that video to help get the views up. Um, is do you think would you say that was probably not wise? Like you you might as well just put it everywhere because why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess cuz everybody looks to YouTube views, you know. And uh, for viral videos and things like that, but I guess sure. I guess because people are consuming video on so many platforms now, and and there's so many different types of audiences, like different age groups are on certain platforms. So I guess it would make sense. I mean, if 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 there was a way to do what you're saying, which is you know drive all that traffic to YouTube and you know and 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 accumulate an impressive view count there, if there was a way to do that then uh, that might make sense. But I don't think that's how it works. Okay. You know, like how, how are you going to drive all that traffic to YouTube given that every other social platform is going to highly discourage you from doing that? Yeah, they're just going to destroy your post, bury it. Yeah, and I mean, if all you want to do is impress people with a view count, just buy them. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, no, I, I would and, obviously never buy any followers or why not? accounts. You oh you mean as far as like uh, buying ads like like doing no I mean just well that's one way of doing it but I mean if all you want to do is impress people with a number then just buy them now that might not be a smart idea right. because you may be promising something that you can't actually deliver because by having a large view count on a video what you're telling people is we have a big audience people care about right. us um, and. If you buy views to convince them of that, they, they will believe you and then they'll sign. They'll go, okay, cool. Well, then um, come play this show. And then because you lied to them, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to be, you're going to be setting an expectation that you can't live up to. So it might be unwise. Yeah. But I mean, there's an easy solution. If all you want is a high 
you know view count on your video you can just buy it yeah no i'm i'm uh i'm the in it for the long game you know there's no there's no to me there's no value in doing something like that because what exactly what you just said it's just it's just going to collapse I think, that, I think there's a time i think there's a time and a place for optics i mean you know buying um you know if you if you if you want to pay a little bit of money to um you know, bump the view count up a little bit. I don't Fluff think it. that would be a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, but to like completely distort reality, I think is a bad idea. Yeah, it's just going to collapse on top of you. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I guess what I meant was. Um, and to be to be clear, I don't I don't buy views on anything because I don't actually think it's very valuable. Mm-hmm. But my my larger point is that I think everyone just needs to look at these as a business decision rather than as some sort of like, you know. Um, moral hill to die on you know what i mean like it's just business Mm -hmm. no it's very true i i I guess i I look at it from uh if you're if you're going to be buying views and things like that it's like when people buy followers like on instagram or something Um, yeah what's the point what's the point because it's just an empty audience that's not engaging with your content you know it's exactly maybe you've got a hundred thousand followers or something but if you're getting a hundred likes on a post you know it's not doing anything for you. You know, ultimately I think it makes people look bad. Yep. I agree. Um, it's all just a bullshit vanity. Yeah. So, uh, you would say, I guess you would say just, you know, plaster your video all all over the, uh, the, every platform, um, for the different audiences on those platforms. Uh, don't, don't hold, don't Uh, hold back or. I, th- I think I think all of this these like really tactical questions that people have are completely putting the cart before the horse yeah. because you could do all the tactical stuff right but if nobody gives a fuck about what you're doing then it's just multiplying zeros yeah so I think you need to like before obsessing about how much money to spend here or what SEO strategy or tags to use like just ask yourself is anybody going to give a shit about what I'm doing? And, uh, and why would they give a shit? And usually they're that that's usually the step people skip. Like, you know, the example I talk about all the time is like, if you are in a metal band and your video is just the band playing in a grungy abandoned warehouse, why in the world would anybody care about that? (laughs) Yeah. What is interesting about why would anybody watch that? Yeah. The answer is nobody would watch that. Mm -hmm. So I think, you need to look at marketing not as an event, but a process. Like it's an, an everlasting thing that you never stop doing. So it's, it's, you know, when you do things like release a song or an album or some new merch or something like that, uh, that's going to succeed or fail based on the things that you did in the three to six months leading up to that, not just what you did for that launch. Right. So, you know, did you do a good job over the past three or six months of, putting out other content that would make people be interested in you as humans and building up your, you know, following and your story by being entertaining or funny or informative or whatever else it is that you do, you know, bringing people into that story so that, you know, when you uh, basically, it's like, you got to think of it as like asking versus, you know, giving versus taking like when bands ask people to watch, their video or come to their show or listen to their song or whatever, you know, that's taking, you know, you're asking your audience to do you a favor, which is give you some of their attention. Right. Well, 
you got to think about like if all these bands do is just black listen to my song listen to my song listen to my song listen to my song like that's a very selfish you know getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning that's a very selfish one-sided way of looking at this isn't it absolutely why would i listen to your song i don't know anything about you you didn't do anything over the past three months to like make me invested in this like you remember like when bands would stand in the parking lot of warp tour with their cd player (laughs) and like ask people to listen to the song totally we've done it and yeah for sure and how many people seem stoked Mm -hmm. it's very small percentage man yeah uh, so that's how I think about it. The same thing as the band's blasting everybody on social media. Listen to my song, listen to my song, listen to my song. On the other hand, so some stranger approaches you in the parking lot and begs you to listen to their song. Your first reaction is to be like, fuck off. I don't know you. Get away from me. Versus um, if your friend who uh, has just made, con- you know, has just been chatting with you about whatever random shit for, you know, that friends talk about for the last three months and sends you funny memes and stuff like that, then is like, oh, hey, by the way, I just recorded a song. I would love to know what you think. Um, can I send it to you? Then you'd say, yeah, I would love to hear it. And then you are, of course, going to listen to it, and you're actually going to be inclined to like it because this person is your friend. Yeah. So that's that's how I, I think you need to think about it, is, um, is not just about, like, tactically, what do you do when you release a new thing? It's about what you do in between those things. How do you... Give, 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 give for months so that then when you ask after, you know, those three months of giving, then you've built up this capital, you know, it's like, you know, depositing, so deposits and withdrawals and the the bank of goodwill, basically. Yeah, that's, that's incredible advice. Yeah, it's, it's, um, we, we try to. With my band stuff, we try to like, get the get the audience involved um, in the process um in the way of like watching us you know watching us record and like i'll do like uh random like acoustic performances on on live and things like that just um you know and just more just trying to make friends you know and and the, yeah. the music is sort of second in a way you know exactly like we're, we're, so the music think, brought them think, here but i want to be friends with them too i actually think i actually think it's the opposite of that and this is what i think rappers understand much better than um, people in rock bands do. Rock bands, I think, believe that they are in the business, in the in the music business, and rappers know that they're actually in the entertainment business. This is not a songwriting contest. Um, rock bands think that you put the music out and people will like it, and then they will be interested in you as a human. But it's the other way around. You are not. This is this is the entertainment business. You got to get people to care about you and believe and be interested in your story. And then the music is sort of the soundtrack to that. Um, it is not, you don't lead with the music, I don't think, unless your music is so fucking great, unless you're Ed Sheeran, who is ugly and not particularly charismatic, but his songs are so fucking good yeah. that they stand on their own. Unless you're Ed Sheeran, um, you are not, you're, you're as much in the content business, the content and, you know, really, I mean, it's like you, you have to be a social media influencer as much as you do a musician. Because again, this is not the music business; it's the entertainment business. Um, and I think rock bands. This is a big part of why they struggle. They think if they just put a good song out there, that that is going to do the work, and it, and it won't. Definitely not. Yeah, we we've always been the band that like goes out and just grinds. You know, we we're always putting out music. We're like touring, recording a record, 
touring, recording, you know, it's like there's, it just never stops. Yeah. And, uh, and make so, so I would suggest if you're not getting attraction, you want put less energy into that and more energy into making entertaining content and building yourselves up with personalities. And I bet next time you put music out, you're going to get way, 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 way more attraction for it. Yeah. That makes total sense, man. It really does. Um, see, we're learning here, folks. We're learning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got a few more minutes here with you. Uh, just, what do yeah. you uh, What are your thoughts on uh, What are your thoughts on downloads and streaming, man? I think this is something that it's it seems pretty obvious what's happening. Um, but what's your take on it uh, as far as how it affects um, bands? Is is uh, streaming? Would you say it's good and bad, or good, just all good for bands or, or for, for musicians, artists? Like, what do you think? Uh, well, I think that the same way as with Facebook, they're extremely entitled, which is they think that um, Spotify or Apple or whoever owes them something and they don't. Um, I don't know how much Spotify loses an astronomical amount of money each year. I don't remember how much, but hundreds of millions. So let's say Spotify has invested, I don't know, I'll just say $500 million, half a billion dollars in building this platform. Um, Why would they owe you anything? You know, if you don't like the terms that Spotify or Apple are offering you, then don't sign the deal. It's very simple. Right. You're free to um, you're free to sell CDs out of your car or put it up on Bandcamp or make cassettes or do whatever the fuck you want. You know, it's like this is the deal they're offering. You can take it or leave it. Or if you're Taylor Swift, you can negotiate. But if you are the rest of us, then you don't really have any leverage. And so you kind of have to take it or leave it. Take the deal they're offering or don't. Um, so that's my kind of main perspective is I think the first thing that we all need to do is like put our ego aside and not be entitled and think that anybody owes us anything because they don't at the end of the day, like if, if you think about it as how can I help Spotify make money, then by, by helping Spotify, you will ultimately help yourself. And I know a lot of musicians are not going to like to hear that, but that's the way it works. If you can make other people money then you have leverage and you can negotiate with them. That's the reason why a band like Periphery is so successful is because they look at it in that way as, you know, it's, it's a business. And if, for example, like um, the reason why they can negotiate so hard is because they're very, their audience is very engaged and they know that if they play a show, they're going to bring a lot of people to that show. So then they can negotiate with the promoter and say, yeah, no, I think, I think we want our guarantee to be double that because we both know that putting us on this bill is going to bring X number of people to the show. And the promoter is like, oh, fuck, okay, fine. You can have, you, you know, I'll double your guarantee. I really need you on this bill. Um, so I guess that's, that's, you know, the macro level thing is like, we can't be entitled about these things. And the micro level thing is, um, you know, as far as streaming goes, like, I guess I don't see how it could possibly be any worse than back in the day. Like, if you wanted to put out a record, you had to spend, even just to put out a seven inch, you know, you're going to spend a couple grand to press that thing up. And then you had to sell them all because to recoup your money, otherwise you end up with a box in your basement like so many people. I mean, I know people that still have a seven inch they put out in 1999 and still have 400 of them sitting in a box in their attic, you know? <laughs> yeah. So the, the barriers to entry are so much lower, which to me is a good thing um, that with, you know, there's all kinds of free or very cheap production software out there with, you know, you, I don't know, what does FL Studio cost these days, 200 bucks or something? It's um, insane. Yeah. Yeah. Or Reaper is 
you know, not technically free, but basically free. So with something like Reaper and, you know, $200 worth of gear, you can produce a pretty competent record at home and put it on Spotify. I think TuneCore is 50 bucks a year or something. Yeah. And put it on Spotify. And now you have access to a global audience. There's nothing holding you back. So if musicians don't see that as a positive, I just don't know what to say. To me, that sounds to me like you have a negative defeatist attitude. And that's the reason why you're not getting the success you want is because you find a way to look at the class half empty in every situation. Yeah. And I think people also cling to the old ideals as well um, when they should be embracing the future. And um, well, were they ever around for the old ideals? Because if they were, then I have a hard time thinking that they would be excited about it. <laughs> like if you want to, if, if you really believe in the old ways, then go for it Then spend $5,000 to, well, spend, spend $20,000 to record your EP. First of yeah. all, instead of doing it, you know, uh, for $1,500, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in a digital studio. So spend $20,000 to record your EP and then spend another $5,000 to press up a bunch of CDs. If you're so passionate about doing things the old way. Yeah. Or, Oh, wait a minute. Actually it might be, actually it turns out things are a little bit better now. I think I'll do things the new way. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Um, we, <laughs> back in January, we, we did a, for the first time I have like all the gear that I need now. It's been a slow build of like over years of like just building getting gear and things like that. And we did a song uh, entirely on our own here in my studio. And um, yeah. I mastered it with Lander for 10 bucks and it's on Spotify now. And it has like almost 150,000 streams. I mean, you can't, there you, go. you can't say that that's <laughs> not good, you know? For sure. I mean, is Lander as good as having, you know, Alan Douches do it? No, but it's, pretty damn close and it's 10 bucks yeah, and he's mastered several of our records <laughs> there yeah. you go he's alan has mastered some of everybody's records yeah dude i mean he's, he does a great job but he's a machine yeah but for the when you're when you're just a kid or whatever you're just starting out you're on a budget or, or no budget you know um it's it, that those are your options you know for sure you know i mean i don't want to see charge now 100 bucks a song or something like that yeah, I, which is entirely reasonable but if you're a kid you know, paying a hundred dollars to master a song is a lot as opposed to like doing a lander for 10 bucks or, you know, watching a couple tutorials and learning how to master stuff yourself for free. Um, which I would say is probably even better than lander. And if you're willing to put in a little bit of time, but you know, again, that's just another, another example of what I'm talking about is we have so many options. Now you can choose to have Alan do it and you know, that's a great option or you can use lander, which is also good. I'm not a giant fan of lander, but I recognize that it's good for what it is, or you can take the third option and learn how to do it yourself. And all you have to do is invest the time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, So we have tons of options and I think that's amazing. I think it's never been a better time to be a creator than right now. A hundred percent. Lastly, um, what do you think about uh, singles versus albums? Do, do albums matter still? Well, I mean, it depends who you are, for one. Um, If you are a nobody like us, I mean, if somebody doesn't care about your single, why would they care about your album? You know, Mm -hmm. I think rock artists are very attached to the idea of an album, and I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of justification for that. Um, I think people end up falling into the trap of quantity over quality and thinking that they need to release 10 songs when in reality, maybe only one of those is decent and the other nine of them are filler. 
and that's not really going to get you anywhere. Sure. I think it's again putting the cart before the horse. Like worry about writing one song and putting out one. Like worry about a writing a song people care about, and then b you know building a brand and a following that people are engaged with, and then you can ask yourself whether there is demand for an album. Um, if people aren't interested in you know what you were doing before the album, putting an album on is not going to change that. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Like it's just I think it, um, again, as you said, with like people being attached to the old ways. I think people, for what I mean, I'm not a traditionalist, so it doesn't really calculate. I I, I don't understand it, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, I think a lot of people in rock are attached to the old way of doing things, just on a kind of ideological basis and they think that they need to put it on an album because that's what everybody else did for so long and yeah it's just what you're supposed to do (laughs) yeah and they get mad when you question that and uh you know yes it's like you're saying before i'm not interested in changing anybody's opinion so if you think that you should put out an album then go for it um and prove me wrong i would love to be wrong yeah yeah would you look at as like uh you know, somebody puts out a record of 10 songs, that's just more content, you know, as like kind of in line with like Why, videos. I mean, or, I could put out a hundred songs, would that help? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who knows, right? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, more content is not, I mean, getting back to what we were talking about before with YouTube, like more is not better. Like, yeah. um, it's hard enough, like focus on doing like the reason. So the reason why I think, one of the reasons why I think people fall into this is because producing more stuff is easier than doing the hard work of looking in the mirror and going, okay, what I put out last time didn't catch on with people because it wasn't good enough in some way. And it's easier to tell you, well, I just got to keep doing more of what I was doing before. I think that's an easier pill to swallow for people. It's like, well, I just got to do more. That's an easier pill to swallow for most people than saying I need to do something different. Right. And so I think ego, and I understand why, because as a creator, I mean, your ego is inherently wrapped up in what you're doing. It is personal. And so it's hard to, it's hard to admit that to ourselves when we put ourselves into something that we feel so strongly about and we put it out there and other people don't respond to it in the way that we want to. That is a blow to the ego. But I think as a creator, that's just something you need to, unless you're one of these people where it just so happens that anything you put out, people fucking love, which, I mean, those people are out there, um, but that's not most of us. And so for those of us who are not in that position, I think you just have to learn how to be honest with yourself and adjust course, you know, until you get the traction you're looking for. Right on, man. Well, dude. I could sit here and talk all day with you about this stuff. This is great. <laughs> um, sure. No, nah, Finn McKenzie, I appreciate you calling in, man. Um, I love the burns at the top. It was one of the videos, I don't know, a while back. Uh, I think it was a viewer comments video. Right at the top of the show, you're just like, I don't remember what you said. I laughed a few times. It was great. So keep doing more of that. More of that for sure. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks for, uh, thanks for thinking of me. Of course, man. I appreciate you taking the time and, uh, to come on the show. And I'm sure uh, the listeners are going to learn a lot from this because I, I, I know I did. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, keep me posted. And, uh, and thanks again for having me. You got it, man. Uh, Finn McKenzie, the Punk Rock MBA. Check him out on YouTube. Um, follow him on Instagram as well. It's just Finn McKenzie. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Okay. I'll see you. Bye. Hey, hey. 
Well, there you have it. Man, dude knows his shit. Um, thanks to uh, Finn McKenzie for coming on the, coming on the show. Uh, everybody go subscribe to the Punk Rock MBA at YouTube. Uh, give him a subscribe. Follow him on Instagram at Finn McKenzie. Um, yeah, I learned a lot. Did you learn? Because I learned. Definitely some things that, uh, you know, some tweaks I'm going to be making in my grand pursuit as well. Hit me up at Instagram, Howie Spangler. Uh, let me know what you thought of that interview, man. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. If you'd like more interviews like that, let me know. Because I'd uh, be happy to reach out and try to talk to some people that you might want to get some cool info from. Uh, thank you very much. And again, it's been a great year, 2018. I don't know if this is going to be the last podcast before the end of the year or not. We'll see. But uh, 2018 has been rad for the band, for Ballyhoo. And I appreciate you all listening to my podcast. I just started it this year. And it's been a lot of fun for me. I don't know, just seeing everybody's reactions and the, the comments you're leaving and the, the ideas for guests and, and other topics to talk about. It's just, it fuels me. So uh, thank you so much for, for being there. I've just really enjoyed doing this. It's been a lot of fun. So uh, let's keep it going in 2019, all right? And get tickets for them Ballyhoo shows, ballyhooRocks.com slash tour. All right, talk to you soon. Tales from the Green Room, out. <laughs>